0: Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 318 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. With me today is very special guest and student, Amadou. What's up, Amadou? Hey, Ian, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking some time out of your day in your busy schedule to have a chat. I'm, I've been looking forward to this a lot. I'm really happy that that you were up for doing it. And I'd really love to dive into your experience over the last couple months and just kind of have a, an open, honest conversation about what you've learned and what lessons you've taken away from being really focused and extremely intentional about everything you've done over the last six months with both your technique and your strategy so that my listeners can kind of take away some lessons about how they should be thinking about their structure and the time that they're spending on the courts. So before we kind of dive into the nuts and bolts, can you give us a a quick kind of background like tell us a little bit about yourself and your tennis game when did you start playing tennis and when did you really start taking it seriously
1: sure i mean as a kid i played tennis you know i grew up in suburban uh baltimore county so it was you know typical like little league baseball but there were tennis courts by so played a little bit as a kid but not seriously or competitively just with my friends and then i think um Probably played recreationally to about junior high school age. And then as an adult, once I hit 30, 35, kind of midlife crisis, I decided to go back and do something that I did when I was a kid, and that was tennis. So I'd taken a few lessons as a kid, but nothing super serious, wasn't entering tournaments or competitions. I was never a competitive kid. Like, the thrill of competition scared me more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, So... You know probably about 15 years ago i got back in the game and just hitting around with friends for fun and just wanted to get better um not with an eye towards winning tournaments or anything but you know to be honest i just wanted to be one of those people that you walk past a tennis court and say oh they look like you know they look like they know what they're doing they know how to play tennis that was that was kind of my goal um So, you know, skip ahead a few years that that turned into, oh, well, I really need to be able to hit a kick serve. I need to be able to do this kind of forehand. I need to be able to do that. And so, you know, that led to to searching for resources on how to get better, taking lessons, finding finding essential tennis online, uh, things like that. So for a while I had been, you know, I had the idea that I want to improve. I didn't really know how to do it, but I was aware that that was something that would would make me happy.
0: Awesome. So fast forward a little bit, well, actually quite a lot. I, I know you've been through through a lot of different, you've been down a lot of different paths as far as working on your game over the last five years or so. And this most recent path that Amadou went th- down was spending six months of remote coaching with me, where on about a weekly basis or so he he would send me videos of his strokes or of his point play. I would give him feedback and prescribe a certain plan of attack. And then he would go and do that, send me more videos, so on and so forth. And so I'd love for you to, uh, f- let's start at the beginning of that time period, Amadou. We started off really focusing on your technique. I'd love to know from your perspective now, on the end of this end, uh, on this end of the six months period, how would you describe to another tennis player? What does it really take to make a lasting technical change to one of your strokes? Yeah, that's a great question. I think
1: the first thing though, I think is I have to really talk a second about the misconceptions that I had about the whole learning process, because I think there was a lot of buy-in that was required. And I think, you know, I've thought about this for a minute. I think the first big revelation for me was that everything can be learned you know if if it's broken down and presented i was you know and this is again somebody who said i'm going to commit 6 months of my life to improving on tennis i really in the back of my mind had some doubts as to whether some of the things i wanted to work on would actually i'd actually be able to progress and make improvements for example you know, you watch tennis matches and see people hit amazing volleys and you hear the announcers talk about how they have great hands or great touch or great feel. And I had always assumed that that was something that you just had or didn't have, you know, you can always make it better. But I had doubts as to whether I could, you know, develop touch or, or, you know, be even be on the process of that. So I think that was the first thing I had to buy into was that everything can be learned. I didn't have any doubts that over six months, I would be shown what to do, but I had some doubts as to how far um, I'd be able to implement it. I think the second big misconception I had was how much time is involved in breaking a habit, an ingrained habit, something that you've been doing for years, even if you know that you're not supposed to be doing it, takes a lot of dedicated effort. I had assumed that Once I, you know, just because at first I had mistakenly assumed that because I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing it, that I actually wasn't doing it. And then I watched video and was like, oh, wow, I'm still doing that thing that I thought I had addressed, you know, two years ago. Um, But then I felt like, okay, well, now that I'm aware that I'm still doing this, I'll just go out, with, you know, practice it a few times with the video camera and it'll just magically disappear. And it was it was a big surprise to me of how many repetitive strokes, efforts of just doing the same thing over and over again to combat a built in ingrained habit that your body just reverts to automatically. I really had no idea of how much time it takes to overcome that. And I think sort of the last thing is that when, at the beginning of this six months period, when I looked at the end, I kind of figured like I'll have these skills and then they'll work in every match all the time and there'll be players I'll never lose to. And life will be great. Excuse me. And I think the, the last realization was that the same execution on my part is going to have different results from player to player. There are going to be things that work against one player that don't work against the other player. And, you know, I'm doing the exact same thing. So what I've had to learn to do is not judge my not judge myself based on the results Um, if you're playing a better player, you're playing a better player. And it doesn't matter if you are having your A game, if their A game is better than your A game, you know, you're going to lose. But I think what I've come to is that what I can judge is just consistency of effort. If I go into, if I come out of a match, regardless of the score, feeling like I was focused and gave effort consistently, then, you know, I'm fine regardless of the outcome. So I think, those were, the, those were the big things that I had to kind of grapple with at the beginning of the process and, and during the process.
0: I'd like to go back really quick to your description of having the revelation, watching yourself on video that, oh, wait, I know I'm not supposed to be doing that, but I'm still doing it anyway. Or, and also the next step from that, reminding yourself and realizing that it's still not happening. Am- Amadou is somebody who has mastered a lot of different skills i'd love to hear from your perspective amadou do you think tennis is unique or special or maybe athletics or or uh sports maybe unique and special relate uh uh in relationship to like the other things that you've mastered and in photography and writing and and uh music and that sort of thing
1: i i think so i think the the physical nature of it i think of just just your mind body connection. You know, mm-hmm. if you're writing, you're sitting at a desk or at a computer and, you know, nothing else is going on. You're not, you know, moving your lower body differently than your upper body. Um, So for me, I think there's definitely the physicality of it is different because, you know, as you kind of alluded to, I came into this and into tennis in general thinking like, you know, I've learned how to, you know, <laughs> I, I love learning new things. Like if I can wake up you know, if I can go to bed at the end of the day, having learned something new, I'm a happy guy. So I figured, you know, it's just about the will to learn and the will to improve. Um, but what I realized for physical things, not just tennis, I mean, I had a similar experience with, you know, i learned how to swim a year ago after not being able to for my whole life. I really learned that you have to learn how to learn. And the the learning I was able to do for more creative pursuits, writing, photography, music, had... I'm not going to say zero crossover but it was a much much different experience mm-hmm.
0: than with a physical sport. So t- talk to me a little bit about learning how to learn. What what are the first things that come to mind for you in learning these physical skills that uh, like practical things that ended up making a big difference for you in learning how to take on those those new movements or those new techniques or those those new physical skills.
1: Well, I think it, it goes back to a misconception I had was that if somebody tells you what to do and you understand what they're saying, and if they say it in a way that makes sense to you, then you're automatically going to be able to go and do it. Um, would that be led, nice? <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> um, and, you know, I honestly thought something was wrong with me because I'm like, he he just explained to me what I'm supposed to be doing. So what's wrong with me that I can't do it? I had no idea that there was a whole step by step process of, you know, starting from shadow swings in front of the mirror to just drop feeding a ball to hitting a ball against the wall to standing further back and hitting against the ball, a ball against the wall to hitting a cooperative rally with a partner, then to maybe playing rally games and then to playing a match. You know, that's each one of those is a stage that you have to go through where you're going to see ups and downs in your progression, but you can't move. From one stage until you're comfortable at the previous one. That was something, uh, again, I just thought if, yeah, if somebody tells you to rotate your shoulders on your backhand and you, you know, you're going to be able to go and do it.
0: Hmm. So it's how, for, just for the listeners at home, and we worked through a couple different strokes in that six month. Well, really, we, we worked on technique for what, four months, maybe four it's and technique. a half months or so?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Four and a half months of that was just technique.
0: And we did drop shot. We did uh, backhand, forehand and backhand, forehand and backhand drop shot. We did the the backhand slice. Uh, How many of those little progressive steps on average do you think it took? I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to think of a number off the top of my head. But from your perspective, each of those little like stepping stones, how many were there for each of your strokes that we worked on? Man, if
1: I had to pull a number out of the air, I'd say. 10 before i could go on the court with a hitting partner and say hey let's try this today because i've been working on it and you know i think it was a lot of just work by myself before i had anything physically to show from it um you know i know there's there's friends of mine that i hit with it have i told them hey i've been working on a backhand slice for a month and a half and if they <laughs> yeah let me see it and it's like no i'm not ready yet i'm only at the <laughs> part where i stand back 10 feet from the wall you know they would looked at me like i was crazy
0: yeah let's talk about the wall really quick and i gotta I have to publicly commend you when i when I was reviewing these videos and and you made you made a lot of really innovative adjustments and and kind of took took the bull by the horns a little bit uh and created your own little uh kind of stepping stones and in, in between uh uh steps from from phase to phase as we worked on your your shots but Amadou lives in brooklyn and our when did we start working like November-ish? Yeah, and november ish so, yeah november and so he doesn't have easy access to indoor courts and so he would ride his bike to a handball court and and hit balls against a handball wall but i loved how you like even broke it down a step from there can you describe a little bit the process that you were going through i'm, I'm thinking about the the backhand slice work early on
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was literally starting from shadow swings at home to, you know, to focus on the racket path. And then it was going against the wall and shadow swinging against the wall while people are walking past you on the street. (laughs) And first, the handball is in like a kid's playground, too. So, you know, there's people looking at you. You're the crazy guy at the handball court with a tennis racket. Um, And. Just at at each level, just concentrating on something, doing it in super slow motion before you even drop a ball and hit it and then graduate to just drop feeding one ball and not like hitting it against the wall and hitting the ball again. It's like you drop it, hit it, catch the ball, do it again. And then I've got my camera set up on a tripod. so. You know, with my phone recording all this stuff. So after like three or four strokes, I'm like going over, taking the phone off the tripod, looking to see if I'm doing it right. And if I'm not making an adjustment, and then if I am, I'm like, OK, I can move on to the next step. I mean, it was it was very precise. And and I think maybe to listeners, this sounds kind of um, OCD or anal, but <laughs> But the, the comforting thing about that was that it goes back to my earlier point of like, I, I just assumed there were some things you either had or you didn't have. I didn't know that you could learn anything if you break it down. So for me, the allure of it was, I felt like this was being broken down into small, discreet enough steps where I could just think about one thing. And if I can just do this one thing repetitively, five, 10, 15 times, there's gonna be a payoff to that. I mean, that was the belief that I came into this with was that if I can do one small little thing repeatedly, somewhere down the road there's going to be a payoff to it. I was really hoping that there was, um, but that was all, that was all belief. You know, that was a that was a leap of faith.
0: So while you're in that belief <laughs> stage and and just kind of trusting in the process, even though you were already kind of trying to grab on to new ways of thinking about this and, and kind of ditching old assumptions that you had. For me, I, I'm thinking about other uh, countless conversations that I've had with other players in person. A lot of times VIP students who come out here to Milwaukee to spend a couple days with us make a big investment like in time and money to come spend time with us and learn what to do. And Uh, I have, like, this image, like, of this, this specific facial expression, like, etched in my brain where we're, like, describing, okay, so when you go home, like, we just went through however many progressions, it could be 10 or 12, over the course of three hours, and, like, we've made incredible improvements on a stroke, and then we explain to people that, okay, so when you go home, now you know exactly what to do, like, isn't that great? And there's this look of, like, sadness that i see like in my <laughs> in my nightmares where yeah. they realize that now they're going to have to do the like they're going to have to be the weird one on the yeah. court you know yeah. that that's doing okay the shadow swing the like fake we we're doing a lot of fake tosses these days to to try to create a um uh in between kind of stepping stone between shadow swings and actually hitting the ball and so how did you? How did you deal with like the, the mental side of it? Because yeah, you're describing, you're the only one in all however many millions of people in New York that are doing what you're doing on that handball court. How do you? <laughs> in December. <laughs> and it's yeah, like right. 10 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> how do you uh, kind of keep yourself moving forwards and and actually trust in the process to the point that you're okay with. Kind of doing those those weird relative to other tennis players those those weird things.
1: You know, I think honestly, I have to say it was the video. Like that was the the carrot for me mm-hmm. was that knowing if I went out five days this five days that week and worked on progressions one, two, and three after every day, I was going to have little twenty second video clips of me doing it, which was you know I, I was going to have the proof that I was out there working on it. I think psychologically that was huge because, you know, people walking past you are wondering what you're doing. You don't look like you've ever played tennis before. Um, (laughs) But somehow you've got this fancy tennis bag and this $200 racket. Um, I I think it it was the video, knowing that I was going to be able to come home, have these little clips, this documentation that I've, that I put in the work. I think that's what the whole thing represented for me. Like, I think Personality-wise, I've never shied away from putting in the work, but what had tripped me up with tennis was knowing what work to put in. So I was actually mm-hmm. excited that, you know, that I was going to be able to spend this time, you know, 20 minutes at the handball court actually working towards something. Um, a- again, it does go back to this this leap of faith that, okay, this is eventually going to translate into a proper backhand slice, but the videos were were really helpful I think without that it would have been really difficult because it's like the tree falls in the in an empty forest right like
0: yeah that was basically, that was gonna be my next question do do you looking back now at what you're doing tactically and strategically and and technically with your strokes do you think it could have been possible to be where you are now after six months of work without video uh
1: absolutely not there's no way no way i would have i think even if i was able to to pay a tennis pro to stand by with stand next to me on each of those sessions and give like live critique i think without video it would have been impossible
0: interesting and i i mean you know you're I, we're both kind of preaching in the choir here but i i would go so far as to say if i if i was standing there with you every day i i wouldn't have been able to guide you as well Same thing, like with for me, without being able to see the video, in particular with the technical work and trying to change technique habits, I I don't think I could have helped you get to the same place if I was physically there every single day that you were practicing.
1: And yeah, and I also don't want to make it seem like it was all, you know, peaches and ice cream. There were, you know, there would be times when. I'm standing there doing the strokes, and I'm like, "Oh man, I got it! I nailed it!" And then I go and look at the video, and it's like, "Oh man, you're, you've changed like one millimeter from you know. You thought you just made this big, huge change, and it looks exactly the same as before." So there were there were those frustrating days, certainly, um, but you know, fortunately, those were those were outnumbered by the days where you could see slow and, and steady, steady progress.
0: Awesome. So one more kind of technical topic I'd like to get to here before we talk about point play and strategy and patterns and that sort of thing. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like for you trying to make the transition with your new strokes from that practice environment, and you had a lot of different practice environments from you know home to the handball court to the ball machine court to drilling with a with a partner and doing live ball drilling, but. What about specifically making the transition from any kind of just training? You know, if we could just kind of roll all those up into one one category of training. Making the, the transition from training to match play. What, what were your biggest challenges there? And, and what do you think the path is moving forwards?
1: I, I think the biggest challenge was accepting that because you can do something in a low-stress practice situation means you can do it in a high stress competitive situation i you know that's again that's one of the 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 misassumptions that i had was that oh i can do this against a practice partner when we're playing competitively and then as soon as a point starts it reverts back to what it was so you know recognizing that um, and understanding that that's not only not a problem that's expected and that's normal um and not, you know, not beating yourself up over it and just, you know, again, just the belief that, OK, if you do this enough at this level, it'll move up to the next stage. And I think the biggest benefit of breaking it down into such small steps was that if you went to the next level, let's say that was match play and it's not working, you have a level that you can go back to in terms of execution and say, OK, it didn't work during this match. Well, let me try it again during like just competitive um, uh, cooperative rallies, mm-hmm. you know, I, if I think I if I had to feel like I would have to go all the way back to the beginning, <laughs> back to the handball, <laughs> that I think even with my you know optimistic belief that this is going to work out, that would have been that would have been a bridge too
0: far. Start again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: So, um, looking at it now it sounds like a kind of a reoccurring theme here as we talk about technique. It sounds like having healthy, realistic expectations and outlook on the whole process has been really critical for you to, to make the progress that you have made.
1: Yeah. I mean, without that, you can't do anything. I mean, first you have to have the realization that something's not working and you want to get better at it. Okay. So that's the first thing. So then you're like, okay, maybe I'll sign up for six months of remote coaching. Um, then after that, it's this understanding that you're going to have good days and you're going to have days where you feel like you're regressing, but that if you put forth consistent effort, that's all, that's all going to even out. I think that was the thing for me that made it easy to go out on a regular basis to the handball courts was that I knew, okay, if Tuesday sucked, uh, <laughs> you know, Monday's great, Tuesday sucked, but if I go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday – this is all you know that continuous effort is going to 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 pay off. Um, I, I think that's that's the biggest thing. Just you have to accept that, you know, I had to accept I'm not a physically gifted athlete. Like I'm not a natural at this stuff. There's not something like where somebody can just explain it to me and I go do it. I'm sure that there's plenty of you know athletes that can do that, and that's what makes that's why we watch them on TV. But that's not me, so I accept that. Um, but then I also accept that if I put forth just consistent effort every day, there's there's going to be some there's going to be some payoff to it. It's it's like a it sounds corny, but I remember watching an interview with um, uh, a middle linebacker for the Colts, uh, Hall of Fame player Ray Ray Lewis, and he was talking about you know just putting in the work. Uh, and he said, "You know there's no, nothing bad ever comes out of putting in hard work. Mm-hmm. And you know that was something that kind of spoke to me. You know, I don't want to you know, I don't have delusions of being a professional athlete, but there's no downside to putting in effort. It, the results might not come when you want them, but there's no there's no downside to it. So um that's kind of the attitude that i that I took with it. Um, and, and I applied that to when you go and master it at one level and then it totally sucks at the other level where you look like you've never worked on this thing (laughs) at all. Um, but that, you know, that's,
0: that's part of the deal. So in an average week, I I think probably a couple of eyebrows were raised a minute ago when you said Monday through Friday, Were, were you, were you training five days a week?
1: Um, yeah, for the for this stuff where I just needed a tennis racket and a wall, sure, because that's a that's a five minute walk from my house. And, you know, it's only going to be like a I'm only going to be there 15, 20 minutes. And, you know, all I have to do is roll out of bed and go do it. I don't have to get a practice partner. I don't have to pay for indoor court time. Um, So, yeah, for me, that was that was, I think, where I put in the most consistent everyday effort was stuff where I just needed a racket, a ball and something to hit the ball against just because logistically. Um, But again, I think for me that that kind of symbolized my commitment to it and my just daily effort. Like I think um, as someone who likes to learn new things, I have seen during my life the benefit of, you know, kind of putting the hard hat on and going to work and you know, if all I have to do to improve a tennis stroke is just go a half mile to like a handball wall from my house. Like pfft, why not?
0: Awesome. All right. So let's let's shift gears here and talk about tactics and, and strategy, which was our focus about the last six or, or eight weeks or so of our time together. Amadou wanted to to dig into how he was playing singles points and actually utilizing the strokes that, that we'd been working on. And so Let's let's start off right at the the top again and talk about assumptions or false beliefs. What what were, what were the biggest surprises to you in hindsight, Amadou? When when we really started to dig into it, what things that you thought going in were just absolutely wrong? Well, I mean, it, you know, I've videoed myself before, so I you know had
1: already gone through the shock of like your forehand doesn't look anything w- the way you think it looks, or the same with the backhand or whatever. Um, but I was absolutely shocked at how bad I looked playing a competitive match.
0: Um, even though this was was not the first time you've seen yourself play, right?
1: That was the first time I had videoed a, a match. Like I had videoed myself just hitting rallies or something, but nothing where you're under pressure, where you're having to make strategy decisions. That was depressing. Gotcha. That was, I remember when I came back in and loaded the videos on my computer and saw, Oh my god, I think I had I think I had filmed like two or three practice sets against different partners and I just could not believe how bad it was. Like we the points lasted like two shots and you know, it was all errors and I I literally I couldn't believe that's what it that's what it looked like when I go and play a tennis match. That hurt more than than the technique stuff because I knew I didn't know how to hit a drop shot. I knew I didn't have like a A proper backhand slice like I wasn't under any illusion but I thought you know I've been playing tennis long enough that when we start a point and play a game like we look like we know what we're doing and it was it was just awful
0: so what was the picture that you had in your head not to uh, you know I don't want to twist the knife too much but (laughs) what, (laughs) what what was the picture that you you had in your head that you expected to see on on the screen when you watched yourself play a match
1: I thought that I would have put money down that at least half the points I would win in a match were because of something good. I did, um, as opposed to because of a mistake by the other player. And I would have thought a good number of the points I lost were because my opponent did something to make me lose it, but it was all me. It it was, it was just, it was brutal. I, you know, I, I, It was so it was so far from what I had pictured it that I didn't even know what to do about it.
0: Hmm.
1: I couldn't have even pinpointed. I mean, when you and I talked about it, the answer was pretty simple, but I wouldn't have even known what to do other than say, well, maybe just you shouldn't play tennis. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe you should just hit with guys and show up on the court and not play any play any sets or matches.
0: Honestly, I I don't know that I knew it was so impactful uh for you. I mean, I I knew you weren't happy with what you saw and that it was it was very different than what you expected, but I don't I don't think you used such colorful language. I didn't know it was such a tough uh it was such a, a tough contrast for you to to see that reality compared to what you expected to see. And I think by the way, I think you should be fair. Like at least it was three sets that you showed me initially and one of those three players was actually pretty str- like he definitely took points from you, um and the other two maybe weren't as technically strong, but had some savvy you know had some savvy ab- about their game. so mm-hmm. I don't think you should go I wouldn't go as far as saying that you gave them all the points, but I totally understand that the ratio is different than what you expected.
1: Yeah. I mean, I th- I think in my mind, you know, you go, you watch the pro matches and you see the the stats with the winners and unforced errors. And, yeah. you know, in your mind, you think, well, maybe, a, you know, maybe it's around even or something like that. And then you go and watch
0: the video and you're like, I've hit two winners and 16 <laughs> unforced errors. <laughs> and just for context, what, uh, around what level of a play, you know, relative to New York, what what level of play are you playing right now? Um, Like
1: a, like a 4-0 level, I think, um, you know, it's one of those things. Like, I always used to say about myself, like, if you watch me warm up, I'm a 4-0 player. If we play a match, I'm a 3-5 player. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, for the level here in New York City, like, I would say a low to maybe now approaching a mid 4.0. Um, there's still super solid 4.0 guys that, you know, that will beat me consistently. Um, but, yeah, I'd say low to middle 4-0.
0: Okay, so let's dig in a little bit to the the process. So you've you described the the starting points very graphically, uh, mm-hmm. and so now that we know where you started, what I'd love to hear your perspective on what was similar about the process of working on your technique when we started working on your your tactics and your your shot selection and your patterns, and what was what was maybe totally different from the process of working on stroke changes?
1: Well, I think the, the similar thing was what was surprising was that, you know, when we watched those first videos and you just talked about directionals, like, man, played the high percentage shot cross court. Like, this is nothing that I haven't heard before. It's something that I know that I'm supposed to do, but because I had never trained it or practiced it, I had, you know, there was no there was no chance that I was going to be able to do it. So I think in that sense, it was just like, you know, if somebody tells you, oh, you know, plant your foot more firmly on your back end, rotate your shoulder. If you don't train that, you're not going to be able to do it just because somebody said it and just because you know you're supposed to do it. And I had thought uh, technique and strategy were going to be completely different Mm. in terms of how you process information and execute. On that information, but for me at least, it's turned out I think it, it's exactly the same. I don't see that much difference, except that maybe the um, the processing time of the training to actually be able to execute it is is probably shorter on the strategy side. Yeah. Um, but, but that that's also I think because we were starting with just such a basic strategy of play the high percentage shot, which is going to be cross court 95% of the time. Um, so I feel like that didn't, that didn't take very long to, to stick, but it was also very awkward at the beginning where that was all I was thinking about. And it wasn't happening. I had thought that I would just be able to say it to myself before I played and <laughs> it work, but I found out I had to like actually say it to myself during the, during the match, the first couple of times, you know, probably over about the first four weeks, I think it was, had to be a really, really conscious focus and effort on that to the exclusion of everything else. Hmm.
0: Um, yeah, let's, so- t- let's dig into that a little bit. I, I you, I re- I remember really clearly our first conversation and you, you were, I, I mean, you, you were kind of distraught when you watched the the match play for the first time and in particular after you got my feedback as Mm -hmm. i I remember and you like watched the match play over with my notes and you're like holy crap what am i doing and i remember on our first phone call after you reviewed your match play a second time with my notes i quizzed you and i was like okay so how are you supposed to play from the baseline like give me the you know the 30 second like what are the principles that of like smart tennis play from the baseline and you you rattled it all off and i said okay what are the principles of smart play at the net and you told me you know boom 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 just went down the list and uh, 2 minutes ago you described it as awkward to actually put those things in the play and i just like to really kind of circle back and really sit there for a second because I think it's critical for people listening to understand that knowledge and understanding of the principles does not translate directly into action. So how, can you dig in that, into that a little more? Like wh- how and why was it so awkward? And um, you, you just talked a little bit about how you had to just focus on that exclusively. What um, tips or keys do you have for people at home to to maybe um, do that as effectively as possible.
1: Yeah, I think the, the biggest tip or is maybe a, a motivation because without thinking of any of that stuff, the way I was playing before, every time a ball came across the court to me, like 10 different things were going through my mind. It's mm. like, how's my forehand feeling? Do I, should I put more topspin on the ball? Does this, where is he going to move, fight that? What's going on here? And, you know, is the wind or is that a bird chirping behind me? You know, everything. Um, so by the time I actually execute on swinging and hitting the ball like there's i'm focused on so many other things other than what i'm supposed to do with the ball so i think if that's familiar to anybody like you just (laughs) all these thoughts are going through your head and then if somebody hits especially if somebody hits a really offensive shot the alarm bells go off and you're like oh my god i've got to answer this back with equal pace or something like that whereas you know thinking about just basic strategy it takes all that decision making out of the window it's like you're in an awkward position, hit the ball cross court. Hit the ball, you know, hit the ball cross court anyway. But if you're pulled off the court, maybe hit it deep cross court. Like there's no way after a month of that that I was gonna be run wide on the court and hit a shot up the line unless <laughs> I just physically couldn't do it. Yeah. So I, I think or even, you know, you get a short ball. Like we all know what it's like to run up, get a short ball, you should be able to crush, and you hit it ten feet long or into the net. Um, instead of thinking about, oh, I hope I don't hit this out. I'm just thinking hit the ball cross court or you know if it's gonna be pro I just hit it up the line it took so much of the the mental noise out of my head that I, I think that that for me is the payoff like once I experienced that I was like, oh my god there's you know it's it's like if you um You know, it's like when you do lift weights or something, you do like an overhead press like five times and then you just do the motion with your arms without the bar and everything feels so light and easy. Like that's exactly what it felt like. So I think as far as a tip, it's knowing that this is going to remove so much of the internal stress that you go through during a point that it's almost worth it, whatever the cost to get there. Um, that, that was the, that was the motivating moment for me because your fear is that, well, if I'm just going to hit the ball across court, then they're going to know what I'm doing. And yep. then they're going to punish <laughs> me for it. And it was the exact opposite.
0: Um, huh. yeah. What, what were the, what were the results? Uh, what was the actual outcome when you started actually doing a good job of, of applying the the patterns that we talked about?
1: Oh, my God. It was it was night and day. I mean, all I had to do was put the ball in the court to a rough, safe, conservative target. And what I started noticing was, you know, my opponents would hit low percentage shots. And, you know, and this is going from this is exactly where I was playing two weeks ago to then I'm thinking, man, what's wrong with them? Why would they play like <laughs> such a low percentage shot? And just the realization that if I don't, you know, make a bad decision, I'm giving my opponent the chance to make one, and at the rec level, that's most of what we do, is make is make bad decisions. Um, because, and it's not because there's anything wrong with this, it's just there's so much stuff going on, and unless you're able to focus on that, um, you know, and it has no idea. Everybody who's played tennis more than a couple of years knows that the safe shot is cross-court over the lowest part of the net. And um, But to see you had an aggressive forehand to pull somebody out wide and they hit a shot up the line. I mean, I think the one thing I did notice, actually, that that was the most visceral thing was as soon as I implemented this, I was doing much less running than my opponents were. Like, I felt like I wasn't getting yanked side to side along the court. And I felt like I was able to have my opponents run, but I wasn't hitting, you know— Super aggressive shots. I was just hitting smart shots, and all of a sudden, like I'm just basically standing to the left or the center of the, of the uh, you know the served line, and they're running left to right into the doubles
0: alleys. It's a beautiful flip of uh, the script from uh, from one side to the other. It's great.
1: Yeah, because you know what it feels like to be on that other side of like I've played guys who have just destroyed me like two and one or love and love. And they're not hitting the ball hard. And I'm just like, how am I getting beat so badly when they're just taking regular old swings, but every time they hit a shot, I'm like off to the races? <laughs> and, you know, this this was it.
0: Yeah, I remember kind of a uh, transition point for you or an epiphany that you had was, I don't remember the actual phraseology that you used, but I, I remember clearly this this moment during one of our earlier conversations when we were focusing on tactics where you essentially realize that it's your responsibility when you have to run more <laughs> and it's like it's not be- not so much because your opponent hit a good shot which they very well they very well may have but you were the one that made the decision that left yourself vulnerable in the first place to, to open that up
1: yeah and I-, I think for me one of the biggest holdbacks in mash play was that my brain would just go into panic mode after the first ball. And it's either panicking because, oh my God, we've hit three balls in a row. Uh, I guess I'm supposed to hit a fourth one, but I must have to hit the fourth one harder than I hit the first three (laughs) or I'm being run side to side. Um, Having a clear idea of just high percentage tennis has just made me, even when the results aren't what I want, I've been calm and relaxed on the court, which that's an experience I have never had during match play ever if i'm playing somebody that's maybe at a lower level i'm still feeling the pressure of like okay you, you need to beat this person like 6-1 because if it gets to be 6-4 what is that going to say about you as a tennis player um or if i'm playing somebody that's stronger than me i'm just panicked the whole time of like they've just hit two balls back and i'm scared that they're going to punish me on the next ball so i swing out out of my shoes on the third ball and it goes long so i think Being able to just be calm and relaxed has been a huge deal. And that, you know, but that took, actually, I think the calm and relaxed part came pretty easily, even before the execution was all the way there, because it just cleared my mind of a lot of stuff. And then as it went on, I realized if I just hit this backhand cross court past the service line, I'm not going to be under pressure on the next ball. Um, So that, that, that had a huge effect.
0: Awesome. So uh, I want to start slowly making our way towards the door here and kind of start wrapping things up. And I, I'd love to hear your overall thoughts at this point, Amadou. We, we worked through a lot of different technical changes in your game in a six-month period. We made a hu- huge transition and shift in your tactical play. Looking back over all those different things we focused on, moving forward at this point what what are your biggest overarching macro takeaways like what moving forward now like what is your philosophy on the game on the improvement process what principles are you taking away that you think are the biggest for yourself moving forward
1: i think the biggest thing that i take away at this point is that If there's something that I want to do that I'm not able to do, it's because I'm not approaching it in the right way. Mm -hmm. It's not because, oh, that's just not for you or um, there's just no way to get to it or you had to have started this when you were age eight for it to work. I think it's really that belief that if something's not working... It's, it's your process of trying to make it work. And more than likely, it's just you haven't broken it down enough to just this one single element. Um, whereas I had assumed that you learned everything all in one chunk, but it's like you have to learn, you have to learn it piece by piece. It's like learning music, like you don't all of a sudden just learn how to play Songs or melodies fast. first, you learn scales, which melodies are based off of in Western music. And you learn those scales slow and you learn them from one note to the next note. And then you put those that row of notes together and make them sound smooth and lead into each other. And then if you do that, you go and you can play some songs. um, whereas I thought, you know you kind of have to just start with the learning the complete the complete song. So I think moving forward, if there's something I want to work on, a part of my game, um, and I make an attempt and it's just in the toilet, then I step back. I would at this point step back and say, okay, what do I need to break this down? To? What level do I need to break this down to so I can experience success with one discrete element of it and then build another element on top of that, another element on top of that, another element on top of that. Um, the flip side of that is understanding that if you want to change something in your game, it's not going to happen in a week. And if it's you know probably not in a month, no matter how much effort you put in, it's going to be a gradual thing. And if if what you're trying to change is going against habits that you've developed over the past five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, it's gonna it's gonna be a long. It's gonna take a long time.
0: Yeah, looking back at, at you know from my perspective as as the coach in in this particular journey. On one hand, um, it was a lot of work. And I just want to really highlight what Amadou said earlier. Like, he was doing daily practice sessions. He wasn't out there two, three hours a day. But he also wasn't letting a week go by in between sessions. And so... um, And the time that he did spend on the court was very, very dense. Uh, It was not because you weren't with somebody else and you were there for a very specific purpose, like, there was no real waste of time. Like, there was only one thing to do at the handball court with a tripod and a tennis racket. And, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I, I suppose you would come up with some other stuff, but, uh, but that was the most logical thing, was, that, okay, like, what are the drills I need to do today to try to make it to the next level and then the next level and then the next level? So, on one hand, Amadou worked incredibly hard and he was extremely focused, but on the other hand... And I think you'll agree with me, Amadou, looking back over six months, the changes that you've made in your game, like if we kind of take a, um, a bullet you know, point list of everything that we've improved, it's pretty substantial. But on the other hand, it took very specific, very purposeful, very regular action to be able to do it. And so it's been a lot of fun to watch you operate and, and make those changes
1: well and i think that's that's important because like you said if you look from beginning to end it's a it's a big significant change and that's what other people are going to see that's what you see when you have a guy that you've used to always beat for two years in a row and then all of a sudden one summer after a summer they come back and they're beating you and their game looks amazing you don't see all the work that they put into that you just see the end result and you think oh maybe they went and took some lessons took a a lesson yeah took (laughs) lessons and it all magically came fell down from the heavens yeah um you know because people don't talk about the the work that they do and certainly for professional athletes they don't you know i mean some guys post videos of their training sessions but you know the espn highlights you don't see a guy drilling like backhands up the line you see like these incredible ridiculous points they play in a match um which I, th- I think one thing I-, I wanted to mention just before we go is that having gone through this process, especially on the strategy side, I think has changed the way I watch tennis when I watch pro matches. Um, like, I feel like I can understand I can understand uh, what I'm looking at more, but th- something I noticed during the French Open, I think it was the, the Vavrinka-Sitsipas uh, match of... It's almost detri- – if you're thinking about strategy at a recreational level, it's almost detrimental to watch <laughs> ridiculously gifted, amazing athletes at that high of a level because they're able to hit shots for winners that look easy, that are incredi- A, incredibly difficult. And the 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 risk for players like us to even try that is so, so high. Like, I think it's almost like you're better off watching, like, you know – a division one match with like you know the the lowest court on singles where these guys obviously put in the time effort lots of skill but they're not they don't have the ridiculousness of a Federer or a Nadal or a Djokovic because the stuff that they do it not you know it's not copyable for us it's not um, I think I think that's been something I just noticed over the last couple of weeks of like I actually enjoyed. Um, a match between two WTA players who didn't have the huge ground strokes, but it was about strategy and movement, and I actually found that extremely enjoyable to watch. Um, and then I saw the Vavrinka match, and I was like, "Man, this is amazing!" But like, I can't take anything away from this <laughs> because I can't change direction on a ball on my back end coming to my back end at seventy miles an hour and hit a ninety mile hour winner up the line.
0: I think the other big part of that, in addition to uh, I totally agree like the individual shot itself is something that 99% of tennis players will never really understand what that feels like to be able to to do that no disrespect to anybody like it's just the reality of the the talent level of the players on tv but I would guess that for you Amadou, the other part of it is now you're recognizing that those shots don't live in isolation like they're they had to work 2 3 you know four shots before that shot to have the opportunity to even take that risk in the first place. And I'm guessing you're starting to see those those setups a lot more clearly now.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, even to the point of watching a couple of matches and somebody hits a ball that's maybe not a great shot strategy-wise and I'm just saying to myself out loud, "Uh-oh." You know, <laughs> they're in trouble now and then you know, it, and then they're even if it's not an outright loss on that point, they're they're way behind in the point and they're just scrambling side to side. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's been great for that. It's really it's really made tennis watching tennis a different ex, a different experience. Um, whereas before, I would only watch matches if if it was players that I cared about or was into. But now, I feel like I can turn on a match and just watch it just to see two people and how they approach the strategy of playing against each other, how they respond under pressure and, and, uh, you know, what their sort of default mode is.
0: Awesome. All right. Any final, anything we have not touched on that you feel is pertinent or really important for people to hear any lessons or principles or mindset elements or anything at all that we left out that you think is important? I think...
1: I mean, I think one thing is important is that everybody can learn, everybody can grow and everybody can improve. Um, and I, I think what keeps us from improving is we don't want to we don't want to look bad. You know, we don't want to mm. try a new forehand because it's going to you know set us back. But here's the reality. I think if every recreational player goes and videos themselves, we already look bad. You know, <laughs> we, we don't look as good as we think to begin with. So yeah, why not? Why not? You know, get better, and the only downside is just that you know you're gonna you're gonna feel like you look as bad as you actually do to to you know people walking past on the court or something. Um, You know, but the main thing is, I think, in all seriousness, is like everybody, everything is is teachable. You know, Uh, certainly, you're not gonna you know at thirty or forty five, you're not gonna become like the number five player in the world, but everything is can be improved from what you're doing now that there's no there's no hard set thing of like because you've been doing it for 20 years that's the only way you can do it it'll take a lot of focused work but it it can be done
0: awesome and number one like process or approach related takeaway that you have from the last six months
1: consistency of effort, that's that's the only thing you can really hang your hat on. Um, you just have to have a belief that if you put in the work and the effort consistently and you're focused on what you're doing, that good things will come from that. Um, I know for me personally, I've been in situations where I felt like I've put in consistent work, but I was doing the wrong thing. You know, I didn't know what the steps were that I should be doing. I was just going out there spending time hours trying to improve my serve, but without video it was like I have no idea what I'm doing. So I could go out every day, but it's not gonna get better. So I think if you are willing to put in the work and finding a way to evaluate what you're doing, like there's it it has to get better. It has to improve.
0: Awesome. Well I'm gonna do amazing work over the last six months. It was a, a pleasure working with you and watching you work. I I'm gonna miss showing off your handball court videos <laughs> <laughs> to the other coaches. I mean, uh, like opening up your videos like in December. I mean, like guys, guys, come here and like putting it up on my my. You've got like a like a winter hat on and like yeah yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. So I, I really really commend and respect the the work that you put in tremendously and your focus and dedication to it. So I, I hope you, you – I, I don't have to hope. I, kn- I know you'll continue on that path, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the, the improvements and the, the journey that you continue to have.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. It was, it was fun. It was an amazing, uh, amazing journey. Um, I, I think that's, that's the biggest thing is that it's, the benefit isn't just the parts of my game that are better now. It, it was actually learning – You know, to, to what I said in the beginning, it's learning how to learn. Like that, that was huge for me.
0: Awesome. Well thanks for your time today, Amadou. I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing the, the feedback from this episode. I I don't do a whole lot of interviews on the podcast, but and I think no, I must have done some other student interview. This is definitely one of the first. I I'm I just felt like the the process that you and I went through and the journey that you and I went through was just such a good example on so many levels of the topics that I talk about on the show that uh, I really wanted to kind of break it down and hear your perspective on it. So thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for, for being open and vulnerable enough to do the work and then and then come on and, and talk about it. I know it's going to help a lot of people. So uh, we, we all appreciate it very much. Hey, my pleasure. Happy to talk. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com where you'll find hundreds of video, audio and written lessons also be sure to subscribe to essential tennis on itunes and youtube where we are the number one resource in the world providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players thank you so much for listening today take care and good luck with your tennis